Welcome to Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy. It's a podcast from two gamer nerd brothers about board games that anyone can play. I'm KC, and that's my brother Andy. Hey, man. Hey, buddy. How's it going? I am so excited. <laughs> I'm really excited. Uh, we'll tell you why we're so excited in just a second. Uh, but first, let's tell you a little bit about this great episode we have coming up. Of course, we have our not-so-new games, right? That's right. We have two of them, not-so-new, and we did do a theme for this episode as well. That's right. And the This Just In <laughs> game will also be in that theme. So, Andrew, what is the theme? The theme of today's episode is games with interesting movement mechanics. Ooh, yeah. That sounds boring. No. <laughs> well, actually, it's not boring. So so we were talking about it, and before the show, we were talking about games that have boring movement mechanics. Exactly. It's the opposite of boring. Exactly. Like what? What's a game with boring movement mechanics? So the one that comes to mind that's not a very good game that we don't recommend ever for anyone ever to play... <laughs> <laughs> is Candyland. Now, I know a lot of you out there are saying, oh, Candyland, I used to play that. The when kids I was love Candyland. Yes. I was too. Yeah, but there's so much better games out there than Candyland because basically you have a deck of cards that has colored squares. Everybody knows this, right? And you move your pawn, you draw a card, and whatever color is on the card, you move to that next colored space, right? That's it. So that's it. But but the track is linear, right? right. You, you have a beginning and you go all the way and whoever gets to the end first wins, I believe. I mean, it's been a while since I played. So other games that have been complained about is just if you roll a die and move, like it's called roll and move. Um, and when you roll and move, you don't have a lot of like control over what you're doing. Um, you just roll and you move that number of spaces. That's a lot of games. We're talking about a lot of classic games that have, that have employed that. But you know, in discovering new games that anyone can play, um, in our new age of really cool games and designer games, there are so many people who have innovated uh, new movement mechanics that make it really interesting. So we're going to talk about a few of those games today. And even simple, simple games can have really interesting movement mechanics. That's right. We'll get to those in just a second, but why am I just bouncing with excitement? We are getting ready to go to one of my favorite things we've ever done together, B. GG Con, which stands for what? Board Game Geek Con, which Board Game Geek is the uh, the website, the preeminent website for all things games. And mm-hmm. if there's any game that you'd have never heard of, it's there. If there's a game that you used to play when you were four that's from 1972, uh, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Board Game Geek Con is a convention, and we've talked about conventions before. And we've even mentioned us going to this last year. Um, but myself... Casey, Andy, and our other friend, Andy, who you heard, hopefully, in one of our podcasts because we went to find some ghosts in his house, right? That's right. We yeah, we just got introduced to Andy at the ghost house. We go down <laughs> to Dallas, Texas, and it is an incredible, incredible celebration of all games. We're talking kids to families to really hardcore gamers and just I could not believe how big that hall was when you first showed me like let's go in there let's go in there and it's just a massive massive room at this hotel and everybody's playing new board games and old board games and inviting people to play board games um what I've got to ask you what's one of 
the big things you're excited about? What's one of the things you're looking forward to when we go down to Dallas for that weekend? Well, that's it, is walking into that room and discovering new games. And just, I remember last year, it was like, let's go in and let's play the first game that we see someone holding up a sign that says players needed. So so people will set up at a table, grab a table, they'll set up their game and they'll hold a sign up that says players needed or will teach. And then you walk in and you just plop down and you learn a new game. So that's amazing because that doesn't happen very often. Like there's not a lot of places you can go where you can Mm-mm. have such an amazing choice of new games to discover. Um, that and also just kind of hanging out with you guys. And um, we have that special uh, rule that we have <laughs> when we come to BGG Con where uh, we bring one game that we want to share with each other that we have played or we're familiar with mm-hmm. and another game that we've never played that we want to play for the first time. So we usually just bring those two games. Although I feel like Andy, um, now that he's caught the hobby game buzz, is yes. going to be bringing a lot more games. Or I think she's <laughs> buying games there too, right? He's yes, to... that's that's really cool. And I, and I didn't really realize much of this, but I remember from last year seeing it happen, but there's a flea market. So what happens with Board Game Geek, uh, you know, it's obviously sort of like social media. Everybody can uh, hook up online with, I want this game or I'm selling this game. I'm trying to clear some out. And then there's a whole morning where uh, he is going to go buy a lot of games that he's <laughs> told people he's going to buy from other people. So that'll be really fun. And also, so there are other things to do there. So we actually went to see a comedian. We went to see a live po- uh, broadcast for a YouTube show. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I remember the lobby filled with dexterity games, right. which I thought of after we did our dexterity game episode. I'm like, oh, all of those games. <laughs> so we had, a, there's a whole like open area where you play dexterity dexterity games, um, just a whole great gaming experience. So it's looking forward to it. But also, if you are around the Dallas area, uh, I think they do one in the spring as well and in the fall. Come by for a day. Bring your family. They have this humongous library. And once you pay for your badge to get in for the weekend or for the day, uh, you have access to all of the games. And that's another great part is the three of us going, uh, let's just pick a game. Let's just let's go find one. And boom, we pick one and then we sit down and play it. It's just a blast. I can't wait to share it with you. Uh, But today we're going to share these games that have interesting movement mechanics. And I think you're going to be kind of blown away at these really, really cool games. So let's get into it. Andy, what is your first interesting movement mechanic in Not So New? All right, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a game called Tokaido. Now, Tokaido is um, a game that both Casey and I have played. It was originally published by FunForge in 2012 by one of my favorite designers, Antoine Bauza. Uh, And it's for two to five players, ages eight and up. Takes about 45 minutes, maybe an hour to play. How do you spell Tokaido? Oh, you spell it T-O-K-A-I-D-O. And Tokaido is actually, uh, historically, a 500-kilometer-long road in the island of Japan on Honshu. Uh, And it was... Um, a road that people would take uh, as sort of a pilgrimage back in the 11th century. And it connected Edo, uh, which is today uh, modern-day Tokyo, with the city of Kyoto. Uh, And the travelers in the 17th century, like, took approximately two weeks to complete the route. Um, They usually went on foot, sometimes on horseback. 
Um, and there were 53 places to stop and a number of inns along the road where uh, travelers could rest and stock up on supplies. So it was an actually historical place um, where travelers would go and try to have the most rewarding experience on this pilgrimage. So Tokaido, the game, recreates that journey on the Tokaido in the game Tokaido, it's very easy. You are travelers in Japan in the days of old, and you're making your trek along this road. And you're going to stop at many different places along the way, collect cards, score points for those cards, and whoever has the most rewarding experience at the end of your journey wins. Um, now, there's two things that make this very original and unique when it comes to movement. So this is a linear board, which means just like Candyland, which we were joking about, you start on a start space and you travel to the end of a road and you end on an end space. So it's kind of a race to the end to a degree. But the manner in which you move is the person who is behind all the other players moves next which means you could possibly move twice. Uh, if you're the last pawn on the road space and you move, but you don't pass anyone, you're still the last pawn behind everyone else and you get to move again. So um, it's a very unique mechanic that allows for some very interesting gameplay there where you plan, you have to plan ahead to kind of see where you want to stop. And there's seven different decks of cards, meal cards, souvenirs, encounter cards, cards, hot springs. There are three different decks of what's called panorama cards, which create like a little scenic view if you collect them. Um, and then there's a couple other cards. So you shuffle all these, you put them on their places on their board, and then each player chooses one of 10 unique travelers. So you're actually a unique person back in the 17th century Japan, ready to go on this trek. Each traveler uh, has their own special ability. Um, so when you're playing the game, those special abilities will trigger in different circumstances. Uh, there's an entertainer. Uh, there's a priest uh, who play, who gets bonuses when praying at temples and things like that. So players choose uh, their uh, special traveler that they want to be in the game. And then they choose a color and they place their traveler meeple in the first space in the very first inn where everyone starts in Kyoto. And then you have a little uh, token that you put on the zero space of the score track at the top of the board. And then you're all set. So the player whose piece is furthest from the end of the road goes first. And the play continues with the player in last position taking their turn over and over again. So on your turn, you move your traveler. And you can move it to any empty space uh, that is ahead of you. Which means you can pass everyone else and try to get to a space that no one's at yet. But if you do, you don't go backwards. So you're going to pass those spaces and never get to revisit them again. So when you move, you have to choose how far to move each turn as well. Um, you could move all the way to the inn if you wanted to, but you'd pass up all the good stuff. <laughs> so, so usually a player moves to the space they want to move to to collect a certain reward. And that's actually the next part of the turn is you activate the space you land on. So there's many different spaces. There's a village where you collect souvenirs. Simple as that. You look at a, you look at a, a selection of cards, you buy one of the souvenirs, and you put it in front of you. Uh, those score points at the end of the game. If you land on a farm, you take three coins. Coins will help you buy things. Uh, if you land on a hot spring... You take a rest and you take a nice bath in a hot spring. You feel refreshed and you just draw a card and you either score two or three points. If you go to a temple, you donate coins and you get points equal to the number of coins you donate to the temple. 
Another space you can land on is meeting travelers. And that's kind of fun because you draw a card and it's a unique traveler with a really cool illustration. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the traveler gives you a bonus. It might just give you money. It might give you a bonus when you go somewhere else in the game. Um, it's really a, a, a different experience for each traveler that you meet. There's uh, another space. Well, actually, it's three separate spaces that are called panorama spaces. So each panorama has a different picture that you can build if you collect the sets of cards. So one of the panoramas is three card set, a four card set, and a five card set. And when you land on that space, you collect the number of card uh, based on the number of times you've landed there. So the first time you land on a space, you collect the number one card. Uh, if you land on the space the fifth time, which which you complete a five card panorama, you would take the number five card. So you score points based on the number card that you take. So when you land on the first panorama space, you take the first card of that picture and score one point and three points if you land on the third space, etc. Then the last space you can land on is the inn, and all travelers have to stop here and rest and have a little bite to eat after their little journey. So when you stop at the end, the first player to land there gets to draw cards equal to the number of players plus one, and they're all meals. So all the meals are worth six points. But if you're the first player there, you get to pay the least amount for that six points. Um, and then you put the other cards face down for the other players to arrive to enjoy those meals when they finally arrive at the inn. Once all the players have arrived at the inn, the last player to arrive at the inn gets to go first in the next turn. And there's actually four ends along the path. You start at one, and then the la then you end at the final end at the when you finally reach um, uh, Edo or Tokyo. And when you reach the final space, uh, points are tallied. So at the end of the game, when all travelers have reached that last inn, there are achievements. So whoever collects the most souvenirs uh, gets a bonus three points. Whoever has um, donated to the temple the most uh, times gets a certain amount of points. So there's little bonuses for each thing that you travel along the way. And each separate place scores differently. So that's it. Basically, you're just journeying straight ahead along the, the Tokaido Road, um, landing on spaces and having an amazing experience. And when you get to the end, the person who has had the most engaging experience and obviously the most points wins. And that's Takaido. It's beautiful. And like you said, the in interesting movement thing about being last, going first, and then going into the inn, the last person that goes into the inn gets to go first. It's just an interesting, when I first played it, it was such an interesting thing because I thought it was a race. I'm like, I got to get there. I got to get there. But then I don't get to see the panorama. I don't get to visit the farm and make a little money. I don't get to donate some. And the goal of having the most rewarding experience is such an interesting way to win a game. It is. And you know, so uh, on, a, on a personal note, I, I love this game and I love its design. Um, it's it's beautiful. The artwork um, is amazing. And um, it just puts you in the um, in the environment of the game. So it was one of the games that I love that in intermingled the theme and the mechanics uh, with the imagery. Now, that said, I like to play it nicely. I like to travel my own way and peacefully <laughs> and collect points and get to the end and see how many points I have. So yes. there is another way to play this game, and that is to travel to deny people the spaces because you can move anywhere you want. You don't have to move by a die roll. You can 
go to any free space that's ahead of you. And if that space is a space that makes you lose, I might choose to go there and take that card that you need to get points, which is um, sours the experience a little bit for me, but everybody has different play styles. So when I play, I like to play nice uh, and... and um, <laughs> <laughs> and not kind of interfere with other people because I don't want them to interfere with me. But there's definitely an aspect of the game that can be have a little bit of, we talked about this in a previous episode of Take That, where um, if you're waiting yes, to get yes. that last panorama space that's three points and you build your panorama and you're going to get bonus points, um, I could take that card and let you not do that. And I wouldn't get any points, but I would just be denying you points. So there is a way to play that. Um, I'm not a fan of that way to play. I like just peacefully going along on my own, <laughs> taking my 500-kilometer journey <laughs> in ancient Japan and having nice food and steam baths. But, so that's one aspect of the game that you might discover when you play. But um, otherwise, the, the movement mechanic is the thing that makes this stand out. Uh, Takaido is just a really great game. Um, and you can get it just about anywhere. So it's, it's readily available. I believe it was just reprinted. And actually, there's a two-player version as well that came out uh, called uh, Tokaido Duo. Check it out, Tokaido. Um, it's a really amazing game and a great experience. And the movement mechanic will have you scratching your head at first um, and really enjoy the game for what it is. All right, okay, so that's my uh, not-so-new game with interesting movement. Tell me a little bit about your game. Okay, my game is called Quantum. This is a not-so-new because it's 10 years old. It's from 2013. It's for two to four players. Plays in about 45 minutes to an hour or so. The box says 13 and up, but I would say 10 and up because it's fairly simple. Here's Quantum. Quantum will look like a game that anyone cannot play. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. The first time I saw it, Andy, you know, I thought, whoa, this is going to be a lot to learn. But no, it's actually really, really simple. And it's beautiful. Okay, the board or the map is a collection of big square tiles. And the rules have different configurations that make the game more difficult or more interesting. But the basic map is a square, four by four tiles. And then on each tile, you'll see a planet with a number by it and squares orthogonally around the orbit. You're also going to see a little square on the planet itself, and that's where your quantum cube will go to take control of that planet. And you have five little quantum cubes. As soon as you place your last cube on a planet, you win the game. Now, in front of you, you have a, a command card. That tells you all the info you need to know about what you can do on your turn, what color you are, the faction, uh, your places for your cubes, and dice. But KC, where's the interesting movement that we're talking about? And I'm going to get to it in a second. But <laughs> what do you move around space? Ships. But what's so cool about quantum, your ships are those big dice, big six-sided dice. So each number is going to represent a type of ship. A one is a big slow battle station, all the way up to fast ships like uh, the number five is an interceptor and six is a scout. So now you may have figured out the interesting movement. The ships move the number of spaces that's on the die. So that scout that I was talking about is quick, and it can move six spaces. A battle station just moves one. Now, you move your ships into the orbit of a planet. And remember when I said um, the tile has a little number by the planet? Well, I did. And at the beginning of the game, most planets have the number seven on it, and then one has an eight. Now, if you have ships, your dice, in orbit, 
that add up to exactly the number on that map space, you can place your quantum cube on the planet, take control of it, and then you could win the game if you get all your quantum cubes out. So let's say you have a three ship and a four ship in the orbit. Seven, boom, cube. Now, I'm not going to get into every single little rule because I do want you to play this game and experience it for yourself, but I'm going to tell you several other rules because it's so cool. There's some quantum basics you need to know about. On your turn, you can take three actions. You can reconfigure, which lets you re-roll a die, your ship, and then it becomes another ship. Cool, right? You can deploy a ship die to a planet's orbit that has your quantum cube on it. So if you're blue, you have your little blue cube on that planet, you can put one of your dice in that orbit. You can construct a quantum cube, put it on a planet, and that takes up two actions. But remember, you have to have those dice that add up to the planet number, right? Because it's a big deal in the game, and that's how you win. That takes up two actions. You can add one to your research die, which I'll explain in just a second, uh, or you can move and attack. Now, this is really, really cool because the interesting movement mechanic is you move your ship, the number of the pip on the die, right? And you land on your opponent's ship die. Then you each roll a separate black or white die. It's weapons and defense. You add that die to your ship die and whoever has the lowest number wins the battle. Interesting, right? The loser's die gets removed, goes back to the player's scrapyard on that command card. But if you win the battle, you turn your dominance die up one face. What's a dominance die? Okay, let me explain this. This is very, very simple, though. The dominance die and the research die are on that command card I told you about. They both start on one. Now, the dominance die goes up if you win a battle like I just told you. So it goes one to two. Once it gets up to six, you get to place a quantum cube on any planet because you are battling your way to victory in this in this uh, solar system. The research die, which starts on one, like I said, goes up one die face if you do the research action. Once it gets to six, you get a card. Wait, there are cards in this game? Yes, there are cards. And they're really, really cool. There's two decks. One's a gambit deck, which... Those are one-time powers. You get a card. It's like a really cool power. You get to do once. Boom, it's done. Uh, the other deck is the command deck. And these cards you get to put next to your board, and they give you little powers that stay with you the rest of the game. Now, I hope you're not confused uh, because there's one other unbelievably cool thing in this game other than the interesting movement with the dice. Those dice, those ships, each has an ability. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them, but remember that number one ship that I said that moves slowly because it only moves one. It's a big battle station. It can strike by attacking a space next to it. So it wouldn't have to move. It just attacks next to it. Um, the number three on the die is called a destroyer ship, and it has warp. It's one of my favorite, favorite dice because it can trade places with any one of your other ship dice on the map. And they just trade places. So, okay, with all of those abilities and the special powers from the cards and the interesting movement, this game becomes a puzzly, die-rolling, attacking and moving, strategically die-placing race to get all five of your little quantum cubes down on planets. 
And after saying all of that, it honestly is a very simple game. Am I wrong? It's simple once you get to play it, right? Yeah, that's right. It's, you have that reference. You have on that uh, player board that you have. That's, yeah. By the way, this game is also beautiful. The illustrations and uh, everything. Everything's illustrated on that player board. So you don't need to kind of try to remember or figure out what a ship does or a die does. Or on your turn, what you do, because it has your what exactly you can do when you can do it. Exactly. And um, it is easy. It, it's very easy because you have these these very simple aspects where on your turn, you're simply moving and getting into position around the planets, um, defending yourself where you need to. And I guess I guess it ramps up pretty easily it gets a little more complicated when you add the special abilities but again they're abilities that affect yeah. normal gameplay there's nothing too crazy or anything like that um but back to the theme of the episode uh, i believe the two ship is actually a transport where that's you right. can actually put one of your dice on top of that ship and move your die along that's right <laughs> so not only can you the three ship warp but um, the two ship can transport another die. Um, it's all very, uh, very simple and very easy and very elegant um, mm -hmm. to try to figure out how to surround those planets. It's also very interesting that it takes two actions to build your quantum cube because you'll be surrounding a planet and you'll, you'll be done for your turn. Like, no, I just have to last until the next turn to build my cube and then someone will come up and try to attack you. Um, it's really cool. Right, attack you and get rid of that die that adds up to that number that you did exactly, because you have to have that number exactly. Um, if anybody, if you have more dice around that, that planet, you cannot put your cube there. One other thing, um, a great aspect of the game, is when you get a ship destroyed, um, it leaves the play area but it goes back to your scrapyard and you roll it. So it actually right. gets rebuilt into another ship, which is really right. cool. Like I, clever. In, a, in, a, in a game, in a world that has lots of games with like just the spaceships on the table, these dice represent so many things. Uh, they're the kind of ship they are. They're how many far they can move. It's their battle power. It's just multifunctional dice. It's a really great mechanic. So, yeah, great choice. It is really good. You'll be hooked. However, um, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to talk about this game. And I don't have a physical copy of it. And I was just telling Andy before we started this. So I looked it up. It is out of print. Yes. And if you want to get a fairly used version of it. It's about 150 bucks on eBay. Uh, if you want a really good version, it's like $275 or something. Mm. You have it on your shelf back there. I see that back there. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I got that a long time ago. So, but, oh man, I hope somebody reprints it because it's really good. Me too. Hopefully they'll reprint it. And maybe you could bring it to BGGCon. I think I can. You, Andy, and I could play that. Yeah. That'd be a good idea. But there's another way you can play it right now for free. That's right. Um, it's something Andy and I play every single day. It's <laughs> BoardGameArena.com. Um, and one thing I love about Board Game Arena, too, is, is that you can play these games digitally. There's a zillion games on there. And it makes people want to get the physical version, learn the game, and then go buy it and play it with their family. Now, but also, there's a game like this, Quantum, which is on there, which you may not be able to or want to pay for on ebay uh and you can play online right, right now for free so you should check it out definitely that's quantum good choice thanks man that's the not so new games let's leave those in the past for a second and come to andy's this just in 
All right, my this just in game is called Wandering Towers. Now that's wandering, W A N D E R I N G, not wandering,、um, like wandering through the forest. Now this is originally、uh, published in Europe in 2022, but Capstone Games brought it to the U.S. in 2023.、Um, it's for two to five players, ages eight and up, and only takes about 30 minutes to play. Now to win Wandering Towers. You have to be the first player to get all five of your wizard meeples into Raven's Keep Castle, while having all of your potion bottles filled. Now, if that doesn't make sense right now, it will in a minute when I tell you how to play the game. But first, the setup. And bear with me here because the setup is a little complicated. It's a unique setup and a very unique board. So first, there are landscape tiles that are like puzzle pieces, and they fit together to form a circular hexagonal path in the middle of the table. With 16 spaces. Now, Raven's Keep is kind of the center goal for all the players, and that's a three-dimensional hexagonal cardboard castle piece that sits on space number one, and it has an open top, so you can drop things in it. Specifically, you're going to want to drop your five wizard meeples in there at the end to win the game. Now, going clockwise around the track from Raven's Keep, you place a tower, which the towers are hexagonal cardboard three-dimensional towers that look just like really cool castle towers, and you place one on each space, starting from the Raven's Keep and counting around for the next nine spaces. Now, the next part of setup are magic spells. These are little tokens that you put in the middle of the table, and they have a special ability. So, in the game, you can pay a certain resource and have a game effect from one of the magic spells. One of them might let you move a castle, or move somebody, or or do something on the board that's special. We'll handle those in a second. Then, there are ninety movement cards. You shuffle them all together, put them in the center of the table, and you deal three cards to each player for their starting hand. Then、uh, you choose a starting player. Now this is where it gets interesting. The starting player has a number of wizard meeples in front of them based on their starting player color, and they will place and start and place one meeple on the first tower, and then the next player places a meeple on that same tower until the tower is filled to a capacity of three. Then the next player in order places their wizard meeple on the next tower. Until that is filled to capacity. Now, the way you tell they're filled to capacity is there's there's little、um, marks on the board that show how many maximum starting wizards can start on that space. So really, you just place meeples in player order until that castle tower fills up, and you keep going until all the meeples are placed on all the first towers around the board. Then the game is ready to begin. So a turn is very very simple, and what you're going to do is you're going to play. Two of your cards from the three that you have in your hand. Now the cards are very, very simple. There are three different options for playing a card. One is shows a movement number and the tower, and it says move a tower. Another one is shows a number and a wizard, and it's you can move one of your wizard meeples. And then the last card also has either move a wizard or move a tower. So on your turn, you play a card. And it will have a number on it, and you will move your wizard around the board, trying to get them to Raven's Keep and drop them in. Very, very simple, right? The problem is, is when you move a wizard meeple, you have to move it off of towers and land on the space where there are no towers. So what happens then is, if you move a tower, you can choose to pick up the entire tower. Or any towers that are stacked on top of it, and move them along the track, thereby covering up any wizards. Because, because as I said, the tower pieces are hollow, 
And when you place them on top of wizards, they disappear. They're they're covered up by the tower. So you, you kind of lose track during the game of where your wizards are because they're being constantly covered up by these three-dimensional towers. And another interesting thing is... When you uh, move your meeple wizard and you drop them into Raven's Keep Tower, you actually get to move the entire castle Raven's Keep around clockwise around the board to the next marked space, which uh, there are spaces that are marked with little ravens uh, with shields. And what this does effectively is it allows you to move Raven's Keep Castle away from your competitors that gets further away. So that's kind of a challenge as well. And remember I said when there were magic spells placed in the middle of the board? You can use these to move a tower or move a wizard or some other magical effect, but the catch is you have to pay with potions. And if you remember, the way to win the game is to have all of your potion bottles filled. So if you spend potions to do a magical ability, you can do it, and it's a pretty good ability. It'll, it'll give you a little bit of a, uh, an advantage in the game, but you've just used a valuable resource you need to win the game. So, again, after you play your card, you play one card, and you either move a wizard or move a tower. Then you play your second card and do the same thing. Now, the interesting thing about when you move a tower is it has to stack on top of the other towers if there's another tower on the space it's going to. So say you have to move your tower two spaces and two spaces away is another tower. You actually place the tower on top. So you start building these huge stacks of towers on top of each other with, if you'll remember, wizards in between. So if there's a wizard on top of a tower and the tower placed on top of it, it gets covered up. Obviously, that's a problem because you want to move your wizard meeples closer to Raven's Keep. Let's say you've moved your wizard all the way around and you land on Wizard's Keep and you put your meeple you drop it into Raven's Keep. That's one part of having to be done. But the other part that I described was needing to have potions bottles filled. Now, you have potion bottles in front of you depending on the number of players. And when you cover up someone else's wizard, you actually kind of, what the game describes as, steal their essence. So what you do is you fill up one of your potion bottles with the magical energy of one of the wizards that you just landed on. So the game actually encourages you to move towers on top of other wizards to fill your potion bottles because otherwise you can't win. So the game continues like this, each player playing two cards, then drawing up a hand to three, and then the next player goes, and the next player around and around clockwise um, until one player has put all five of their wizard meeples into Raven's Keep, and if they look down and have all of their potion bottles filled, they've won the game. If two people manage to win the game at the same time, you look at the maximum number of potion bottles that they had filled, and that's the tiebreaker. So that's Wandering Towers. It's very, very simple. All you do on your turn is play a card and move. But how you move your towers and how you move your wizard meeples in order to protect yourself from being covered up and having your essence stolen and make sure your meeples are available because uh, then if they're covered up by towers, you can't move them. <laughs> so it's a really, really enchanting game. It really is very simple and, you know, afterwards it got the seal of approval from valentina because she said she couldn't wait to play again um and that's really a good sign from nine-year-old uh it, it really opens up a lot of different strategies uh midway through the game when suddenly you're looking at the board and you realize that you can only see two of your four meeples that are remaining and you have no idea where they are. So it's a little bit of a memory test, too, when you're doing this. So Wandering Towers, um, it's out now. A very, very accessible game. Um, anyone can play it. 
and anyone can have fun with it because there's a lot of different unpredictable things that can happen. So that's Wandering Towers. Great choice for this just in with interesting movement. It looks like just a great game. I remember when you texted me pictures of you and Lorenzo Valentina playing it uh, with the 3D towers moving around. Just really cool. I'd love to play it. And maybe, brother, we can at BGGCon, which is where you'll hear from us next. We plan to have a really good show from Dallas, Texas. We'll tell you about some amazing games that anyone can play and maybe even some brand spanking new This Just In games that we haven't even heard of yet. But it may just be me and Andy and Andy uh, just geeking out for a weekend. But please join us on our social Facebook and Instagram, of course. Uh, And if you like the podcast, please rate us. Give us a good rating and say something about the podcast. And of course, tell your friends because we would love more and more people to listen to it. Cool? Cool. We'll join you next time on Anyone's Anyone's Game Game with with Casey Casey and Andy. Andy. And here's hoping everyone plays games that anyone can play. Except Candyland. Candyland.